understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Dave McWilliams podcast. The podcast that tries to make economics that little bit more comprehensible, a little bit more fluent and a little bit more relevant. This week we have a bonus episode brought to you by now on the economics of movies. This now, should be a good one. But you are interested <laughs> in movies. Well, I, do you know what? I, I'm not a movie... I'm interested in economics, and I can maybe do the economics of movies. Well, hey... But, this, go on. <laughs> this, this is dream stuff. This is, this is revelation. <laughs> no, I am not a movie buff, but I am a movie lover. And Ooh. my daughter, on the other hand, is a movie buff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knows the inside out and backwards of every movie right back to the beginning of time. Almost. Almost. Well, actually, Mac, I'm looking forward to this one because, do you know what? Before we start, when it comes to movies, now has you covered. Because it has all the Christmas movies and the latest movies. They've got the likes of The Batman, not Batman, The The Batman. Batman. Yeah, like the COVID. Like like the COVID. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it's that DE Batman. DE COVID, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. And if you're the TV series, they've got all the big stuff like Gangs of London and the House of the Dragon. And I've actually got stuck into the House of the Dragon because, you know, I've always loved fantasy stuff. You know me and the fantasy stuff. I wouldn't say that too loud in the podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm actually a little embarrassed to say it. But I've watched the whole series in a single week. I binged my ass off. That's quite a binge. That is quite a binge. And as you know, Mac, in the run-up to Christmas, my favourites, my favourites are back in vogue, like Elf. (laughs) <laughs> and the Polar Express, which I absolutely love. I genuinely love it. It's absolutely brilliant stuff. I actually found it quite scary, the Polar Express. Do, do you know, the CGI is so good. It has that kind of look about it, actually. Yeah, no, yeah. I remember watching it years ago with the kids and having this slightly ambivalent relationship with the characters. I thought, yeah, mm, these the are... Tom Hanks guys. Well. well, it had a sort of a, if you could imagine, you know, the Grapes of Wrath, Steinbeck, if you could imagine that America... Yeah. Being portrayed to you. I mean, all the stories seem to have a sort of a slightly double-edged type characters in them. And I remember thinking to myself, this is quite fascinating for mm. a children's movie. Mm. Mm. And as I stroked my beard at the time. <laughs> Cowering behind the couch. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> anyway, that's so good. So you're all, well, listen, let's talk about the economics of movies. Because this is one of the biggest industries. Yeah. It's one of those industries that you and I have been involved in personally. Yes, So we know what it's like to be behind the camera and actually making the whole stuff, right? But also, you know, very, very few people, almost nobody has never come within the orbit of the movies at the entertainment business in general. And what is fascinating is the way in which the economics of this has changed because technology has changed, people's behaviours have changed, people's, you know, this whole idea of, you know, if you had said to somebody 15 years ago, a home cinema kit, Mm. I wouldn't have, well, I still obviously don't really realise what it is, but I mean, I hope you know, that, that people have changed their entire watching habits. We used to go to the cinemas, we're not going in that much anymore. People are streaming, people, you know, so it is, and it's, it's, it's. And extra- you coming out with your big telly. Oh, my big telly is fantastic. What, what is it, 54 it's foot or just, something? It's just the size of a small housing estate. It's amazing, right? And I used to be watching like, Basically off my computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've gone from a laptop. Eyes. Yeah, yeah, I've gone to a laptop for this big, huge yoke. You know, it's, 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 man, it's metal. And of course, the timing was just perfect for the World Cup. Uh, exactly. But I haven't got around, I haven't graduated now to watching movies on it just yet. Well, if well, I do, if I do, 
then I will turn into you. I will have an encyclopedic knowledge of... Yeah, but and on that size TV, if you watch the Polar Express, you'll freak the hell out of Take a few edibles and watch the Polar Express. You mean popcorn? Popcorn, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But John, the economics of the movies, it's, it's, it's fortuitous that we're discussing this now because last night I was reading one of the great books of the 20th century is a book by Thorsten Veblen. Right, who was mm-hmm. an American. Doesn't sound American. No. Sounds Danish or something like this, but he was American. It's called The Theory of the Leisure Class, right? And it was written at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of this century, published and republished and republished. And it's about what people spend their money on. And when there's a leisure class, how they actually spend their money. Now, mm. fascinating, fascinating. Entertainment has always been the opposite of the leisure class. Entertainment has always been for the masses, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what makes entertainment kick. And if you go back to the Romans and the Greeks... Okay, take me back, Mac, to the Greeks. To the history of entertainment and the economics of entertainment. We'll go back to the Greeks, right? Right. The Greeks had a god of entertainment called Dionysus. Yeah. Uh, Not to be confused with Bacchus, who was the god of partying and good times, right? Right, Dionysus was a little bit more cultured, right? Right. But amazingly, the last time I was in Berlin, John, I went to the Pergamon Museum. So Berlin has got this amazing thing called the Ber- well, this is an amazing area of Berlin called the Museum Island. Now, you can be very, very skeptical about the fact how amazing runes from ancient Greece and Turkey ended up in Germany. Yes. Like the Elgin Marbles in the UK. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But when you are in Berlin, there's an extraordinary museum called the Pergamon. And it's about a city called Pergamon which existed in the Lydian Empire, John, just before the thing, right? And one of the fascinating things about those Greek cities was how central the theatre was to everything, how central entertainment was to the whole thing. And the Greeks used to to recline a lot, which I quite like, you know? I quite like that they'd recline a lot. But ultimately, entertainment was what kept these societies together. So they'd be working, they'd have money, they'd go out in the fields and work, but they always came back to theatre, to comedy, and this was a huge part of their Good world. for them, yeah. And it's, it's also the, the same as the Romans. The mm. Romans, you know, the Romans, they're, they're famous as bread and circuses. Yeah. So you have to, you know, so basically the top, the senatorial class in Rome, and then, of course, two or three other classes in between this, and then you had the plebeians, right? Yeah. Us, right? And we would have had this, there was a sort of a welfare state in Rome. People forget this, that they gave out free bread and circuses, gladiators, the whole thing. Yeah. And do you know about redheads in Rome, John, in the theatre? Were there any? There were. The, the, the sign of a slave was a red wig. Okay. Right, because we were up Germanic. We were from yeah. up north, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> nobody from Rome had red hair. So if you were on the stage in the Roman theatre and if you arrived in with a red head, like natural red or, or... I suspect they were dyed mainly. Right. But the idea was that these were the mark of a slave. These people right. were outsiders. Yeah, these right. people were slaves. These were not Romani. These were not citizens of, the, of yeah. both the Roman Republic initially, before the cross of the Rubicon, and then Roman subjects of the emperor. Right. After that. Okay. But if you think okay. about it, what is fascinating, right, you know, is the Greeks and the Romans had amazing resources thrown at entertainment to keep everyone happy. Even the word orchestra yeah. comes from orchestrae, which means to dance in classical Greek. Right, so okay. There's, so there's all, these, yeah, there's all right. these things that we know. And, and it is amazing because you also, the, the in, in comedy in Greece, they used to give all the comedians 
a large glass of watered-down wine, fortified wine, just watered-down wine, mm. and the reason was they wanted to get them a little bit pissed so they could actually act, so they didn't get nervous. <laughs> Isn't yeah, it amazing? Just get right? the buzz on. They get yeah, the buzz on, exactly. That's, that's so, completely so, understandable. But all Greek, are, all oratory and everything, mm. right, they actually had a slight little buzz on them. Yeah. So they could just get up and do their thing. That's like us going out and doing the live shows. That's it, yeah, but we have a big buzz on us going. <laughs> so that was the Greeks, and the Greeks were... So what I'm saying is, if you go... There are many people listening to this podcast who, if you say, oh, I'm going to Berlin, they say, oh, I'm going to Bergheim, which is this very trendy sort right. of yeah, yeah, yeah. club where nobody can get in unless you have very strange sexual picadillos and wear only black... Right? right, but if I were you, I'd go, go come with me to the. So, what's, so what's it like, Mike? It's really, really good. It's really good. You can't bring your phone. It's really, really good. So if we're going to our trip to Berlin, John. Yeah, looking forward to it. We're going now. to our boys' trip in Berlin. We are not going to Bergheim, our Kit Kat, which is the other club. Right. Our many other clubs. We are going to the Pergamon Museum in order to study. Fantastic. Study the economics of entertainment. So the thing is, then, if you think about the economics, it's been ever thus, right? Shakespeare, all the great playwrights, all the great theatre, and then, as you said, the opera. Yeah, yeah, From yeah. I mean, 100 years ago, the opera was the amazing... Well, opera was, the, was the, the opiate of the masses for many yeah. people. No, and the reason why I, I chose opera is because opera is seen now as a very kind of hoity-toity kind of... Yeah, uh, very religious. Yeah. And, and, and lots of it's really brutal as well. Oh, it's awful. I can tell you, years ago, I was working for UBS, the Swiss bank, yeah. And I had to go to the Wexford Opera Festival. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. With these Swiss lads who were into opera. And I went to some Jesus opera, right? That lasted for about three hours. And the wife of the head of the Swiss bank, <laughs> this is one of my many reasons it's for not getting on well in that bank. She said, gleefully, it's amazing. This opera has not been played for about 17 years. <laughs> And I said, I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, you know, it didn't it didn't go down very well. Awful, awful. Yeah. But I'll tell you something about technology, and this is what I want to get on to about, right? Mm. In Italy, around the time, and we're going to talk a little bit about Joyce as well, around the time of the gramophone record, so about 1910, yeah. 1911, yeah. there were many thousands of opera singers who used to make a living singing in villages and towns. Yes. Like a travelling salesman. You'd be a travelling opera singer. Mm. And you'd have a pretty decent fan base and you'd come in and if the people didn't know you, they'd know that if a promoter was putting you on, you could kind of, you could do it. You could, you could earn your corn. Mm. Amazingly, as soon as records came in and as soon as you could record music, the number of people making a living out of opera singing collapsed because the very best opera singer, so there was always like, sort of a bell curve of opera singers, yeah, okay? Yeah. And everyone was around the middle, and then you had really brutal ones out here, but then you had a couple of really amazing ones in the yeah, long tail yeah, out yeah, here. Yeah. Once recording came in, people stopped going to listen to them because the best, best, best opera singers, like the Pavarotti's, yeah. were recorded. And what happened is all the resources and all the money went to that one person. So... In effect, opera went from being a business that employed many hundreds of singers to a business that employed one or two. And they got all the goodies. And it's what right. they call in economics, the winner takes all effect. Yeah. And you see this in lots of things, and particularly now in movies as well. You know, if, if a big movie star is signed up for a movie, the chances of that movie doing extremely well are very, very well, high. it's always sold off the back of the big star, isn't it? Yeah. 
not only is it does it illustrate the winner takes all thing, but it's also Schumpeter in action there. Of course it is. You know, and, and that has happened many times in the development of the movie and, and entertainment and industries. Well, it's interesting with Schumpeter because Schumpeter always arrives in the scene with technology. Yeah. Let he's sitting on the wings of technology is our Joe Schumpeter. But also, and fascinating thing about movies is the story of James Joyce and the cinema. Yeah. Right? We won't go over it because we've done it before, mm. but it is a fascinating insight into what happens when a technology combines with entertainment to change an industry. So prior to the cinema, and this is this is even before the talking cinema, but prior to the cinema, you know, the most vibrant entertainment business was the theatre. Yeah. Which is and you've still got a few echoes of that. Like for example, I was in the Olympia this week. So you still have those old theatres that were actually built at a time when there was a huge, huge population going to the theatre to see live theatre. Yeah. Which is, again has fallen off, not a cliff, but it's fallen off dramatically. And as you said, a bit like opera, some people would regard theatre now as being slightly more elitist. I don't think it should be, but it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, Than yeah, mass yeah, market is. TV or mass market movies or whatever. But it's fascinating, again, to see what happens when technology and money come together. And this is the story of streaming. This is the story of Now TV. It's the story of all sorts of change in the entertainment business. Yeah. That Joyce is sitting in... Trieste. And Trieste has 28 cinemas in 1905, right? 28? 28. To a population of Of about 200,000. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible, actually. But cinemas opened 24-7. Isn't this an amazing thing? They opened 24 hours, seven days a week. Was there enough material? And this is the whole thing. This is exactly streaming now. What happens is you get this change in behavior, which is the cinema. Yeah. You get this huge surge in demand where people are fascinated. They'd never seen cinemascope before. They'd never seen people yeah. on, mm. on, on screen. So you get this huge, huge increase in demand. What happens is all the really, really good actors say, ah, hold on a second, I'm going to become a TV actor or a cinema actor. Mm. And you get this massive oversupply of content. Right. Okay. You right. Oversupply, yeah, yeah. which is exactly what's happening now. Yeah. Right. There's yeah, content yeah. everywhere, so you get an oversupply of content because people feel that the demand is what they call in economics infinitely elastic, mm. so that the demand is going to be constant, but it doesn't end up that way. So, but at a certain moment, what you saw in Trieste before James Joyce got the idea of opening the Volta Cinema here was that the cinemas were twenty four seven affairs that there was enough content, some of it good, some of it bad, mm. and people hadn't understood are begun to appreciate the, almost the grammar of their behavior. Right? How do you yeah. mean? Well, that you shouldn't really be going out in the middle of the night watching movies, right? <laughs> At a certain stage, it right. changed, right? right okay. And you know the way people think that here in Ireland, our licensing laws were all a reflection of the fact that in Britain, because we were part of the British Empire in the First World War, yeah. that every all the workers were getting locked and therefore they actually changed the licensing laws to half 10 on a Sunday and half, what was a quarter to 11 on a normal day, right? Something like that. Because the idea yeah, yeah. was that all the paddies and the Brits were getting locked. The munition factories were actually clogging up with drunk workers. Right, okay. That's why our licensing laws are so yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing that people were going to is they were going to the cinema. And the yeah. cinemas were playing all night. So in order to actually get people to go to bed and not be out in the cinema, <laughs> they actually change the licensing laws. So people go for a pint and then go to the cinema. Yeah, yeah. In the middle of the night. Do you remember we used to do that? Slide aside. Remember we used to do that? There was that... I don't know how long it went for it. It seemed to go on for months, but when Stop Making Sense oh, used to yes. play in the, in, the, in the Ambassador. And we'd go for a bunch of pints and then we'd all go up to Stop Making Sense, the movie, 
by, by talking, talking heads. heads. Yeah. And we'd all go up there and the place would be jammed at midnight or whatever. Everyone dancing in the in the, yeah, the no, aisles. Absolutely. And it, it also it also, John, prompted an extraordinary bad imitation of lads from Dublin pretending they were David Byrne in a big suit. <laughs> in the big suit. Doing this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It didn't really work because there is only one David Byrne. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And you can't be David Byrne. <laughs> yes, this is uh, this is memories from the late eighties, I think early nineties. Late eighties, late eighties. Late eighties, late eighties. But again, that's a very good example. Yeah. So David Byrne takes a live Talking Heads gig, puts it on screen, and away you go. It's genius. It, it was a genius piece of marketing. Yeah. And from the ambassador's perspective as well, to actually put it on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And know again, your audience. What, it, what it did was it actually gave you a club vibe late at night yeah. that cost the cinema nothing yeah. to put on. And we thought we were all members of uh, kind of an indie band from Boston. <laughs> Kind of Boston, New York, sort of neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the tri-state area, which is that great American thing. Of, you don't know where people are from. Just like, Merg, over there, over there. But so if we get on, so, so there's always been, entertainment has always been about behavior. Of course, disposable income. Mm. This is the key thing as well, that what you're seeing around the beginning of the 20th century in Europe is a weird thing called disposable income. That people hadn't had before. So then they begin to say, what are we going to spend it on? Yeah. This is when the like the invention of the teenager in the 1950s and 1960s in America. You had this huge explosion in popular television in America, mm. coincident with the emergence of the teenager, which was the first time that people between the ages of, let's say, 12 and 18 had something called disposable income. And of course, what you see now in around the world is this extraordinary fusion of increased disposable income, increased technology, all of which is making cinema and the cinema experience much more accessible to all of us at a time, and this is the key thing, when the platform on which we're watching has changed, you know? So the idea that we, for example, would have gone to the cinema in Dunleary, the Forum Cinema, in Glass 2. Long gone now. Long, long gone now, right? But we would have gone there on on a Friday night or Saturday night to go to the cinema. Yeah. Imagine trying to explain to our children that this was the only, or very one of the very few forms of entertainment around for, and, t- for teenagers. Absolutely, there yeah. was because you couldn't go to the pub or whatever. So now, but now yeah. you have like you've streaming, right? Which is a huge one. Okay, Mark, I, I'm interested in the, in the figures of this though. Like, what are the numbers well, around? They this? are enormous, right? In 2021, right, the industry, the movie industry, so theaters and this home entertainment carry on, right? Mm was $99.7 billion. So $100 billion, right? And if you put pay TV on that... $100 billion. $100 billion, billion yeah. right? And if you put pay TV on this, right, that's $328 billion. I mean, these are huge, huge industries, okay? And, of course, the value of the companies involved in this business is multiples of the annual yeah. revenues of this business yeah. because they own the IP, they own the intellectual property, which makes a huge, huge difference, you know? So, I mean, you have this extraordinary thing. You've got streaming, which came in around 80 billion. Yeah. Streaming alone, right? And that's a brand new industry. Like yeah. when I say brand new, it's in, in the last, what, 10, 15 years, it's, it's only come into its own. But it's a massive new industry out of nothing. Yeah, out of nothing. And again, it comes from technology. Exactly. It comes from technological exactly. change. I mean, you experienced what happened in the music industry. Well, that's exactly During the streaming period. Yeah. 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 And the the correlation between technology disrupting the music industry 
and disrupting the, the movie industries is very similar in that as technology became very readily available and cheap, music changed. And it gone were the days of having to go into a studio and all that kind of stuff. And you had all these guys in their bedrooms knocking out dance music. Hence, dance music yeah. took off, hip-hop took off. Similarly, when the digitization of the movie industry, yeah. you know, CGI became much easier to do, much yeah. cheaper to do. And that changed a lot of the styles of movies that yeah. started being made. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, what you see also is merchandising. This always amazes Yeah, yeah. This is a huge part of the business. I had no idea of this, but I can imagine you in a Batman suit. That's about Jimmy Jammers. <laughs> when you're not in your Marvel Batman suit, or is it a Spider-Man suit, or whatever it is. I Actually, if of all of all the superheroes, it's Spider-Man that I'd want to be. Is it? Oh, definitely. Climbing up the, definitely. Climbing up the side of yeah, buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you not? Don't start. Yeah. Let yourself go, Mac, once in a while. I want to be messy, not Spider-Man. Okay? I'm going to have to play football. Therein I'm, lies the difference between me and Mac. I'm going to have to play football tonight. I think I can thread the ball through with my educated left foot and then I'm, I'm just putting goals I'm on the top. I just want to spin webs, man. <laughs> Toy Story. One, Look. two, three. Okay, the three of them. Made 10 billion in retail sales of merch. That's, That's incredible. A huge amount. Marvel Cinematic Universe, something you would like. Another 10 billion in theatrical sales. However, the merch sales of this were 41 billion. That so the merch was four times more than the bloody box office. Do you know, just, just a little aside, uh, I have to say the whole story of Marvel and Marvel Studios is incredible. It was a stroke of genius, I think. Where Marvel, you know, Marvel was around comics, since, yeah, yeah so the comics around since the 50s and 60s. And they created all these, the, the Spider-Mans, and the blah, 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 blah. So comics obviously were dying over the years. And all those kind of characters were kind of a little bit passe. Until Stan Lee, the guy who was behind the whole thing, decided, do you know what? Maybe we should make some movies. And they switched the whole focus of Marvel into making movies and create this massive franchise. Was that a $10 billion worth? Was that the Avengers? Was that Marvel? That was part of the Marvel. Yeah. I went to see that and I could never get that time back. It was awfulness. <laughs> it's, 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 but, uh, but I went to the Savoy in Dublin, which is a great cinema. Yeah. It's so big. Yeah. But I mean, that sort of stuff. No, no, it's, but Mac, you see, you're so different on this. I, see, I love all that I kind know of stuff. You do. I love the, the CGI of it. I, the stories are just fun. They're just fun. You know, that's all they are. Bit of action, bubblegum movies. That's what they are. But it's pure entertainment. It's pure bread and circuses. It is bread and circuses. That's all it is. As a member So of don't the, take it too seriously. I won't take it too seriously. You're all a bit too high but, but, you know, the difference, what you and I can probably add, as opposed to just consumers of movies and looking at the economics mm. of it. And looking at the, the economics is fascinating because what always happens in a change in behavior and a change in technology is a massive, massive boom in the business. And you get huge amounts of money flushing into, like, for example, Hollywood. Yeah. In Ireland now, you've got an explosion in the amount of studios, studio space. Yeah. Lots and lots of studios. Which is great. And this is exactly what happens. You had a huge amount. And of course, some of those will work. 
in the Schumpeter sense, and some of them will not work. But this is based on, the, let's just look at the, the Irish movie scene for a moment. Yeah. The Section 481, you know, that was a big yeah. boon to the whole industry. When well, did that I mean, start? That, that started a long time ago. It started, yeah. I think, in the 70s or even the 60s. So Section oh, right. 481 oh. is a tax scheme whereby, so most movies don't make any mm. money, right? And number one. And number two, in Ireland and all over the world, particularly in, in, in non-American, not in North America, people feel rightly that cinema is part of our cultural expression, it's part of what makes us, and it's part of our voice. So it comes under the culture Ireland sort of idea. And obviously what happens when you're making movies about small idiosyncratic stories, they usually always fail at the box office because mm. you're competing against your bloody Avengers, right? Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is yeah. fair enough, right? So... The state all over the world, like all over every European country, almost every country has come up with supports, financial supports. And our own is a thing called Section 481. And what that does is you can say, like, for example, let's say we have a movie. The movie costs, let's say, a small budget movie in Ireland, five million to make. Yeah. Right? How do we raise money for that? What we do is we go to reasonably well-off people who have tax bills to pay. And they have a choice. They can either buy an apartment in town and get a tax break on that. Do you remember all those apartments years ago? Yeah, tax yeah, break? yeah, yeah. They can buy a car park. Or one of the other options is they can buy an exposure to a movie. Yeah. So what happens is they then give the 50 grand, let's say, to the movie producer. The movie producer gives them a tax rebate of 25 grand. So the 25 grand that was going to go for tax goes to the movie. Mm. And that's how the it's industry great. sustains itself. It's a really itself. good idea. And, and it sustains itself all the time. And and, and I, I mean, this <laughs> is something that, this is something without that, the Irish cinema industry will be gone. And the reason I know a bit about this is because I make a lot of documentaries here. Yeah. And when you make documentaries here, you realise that the vast majority of cameramen, sound men, sound women, camera women, directors, writers, script writers, all that, gorgeous trade, yeah. live off reasonably meagre opportunities in the movie industry. Well, they're all freelancers. They're so all they freelancers, only they right. only survive from job to job anyway, yeah. which is a tricky old, I mean, that's what that's both the of us nature, are in. Yeah, but that's the nature of the game. So Section yeah. 481 is really important mm. because what it does do, it funnels a certain amount of money that would otherwise be going to, let's say, car parks into something like movies. And I can tell you, you know, Anthony Bourdain wrote Kitchen Confidential. Yes. And I think the opening lines, great book, right? Mm. The opening lines was about the camaraderie within people who work together in kitchens. And he said, you know, I think it was like, I trust the guy beside me in the kitchen with my wife, my drugs and my money. And I won't trust, <laughs> okay, I think that was the opening line, okay? Yeah. But it's the same thing making documentaries because the thing about making TV or making movies is you work incredibly hard. Mm. You tend to travel together in a van from location to location, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's that, lots of time for just chit-chat. There's lots and, of time for yeah. chit-chat and laughs. And what keeps teams together is humour. Yeah, it's really, yeah, yeah, really yeah. good fun because the money is never good. Yeah. Right? You're always working for about the minimum wage. When you actually, if you were to look at it over the amount of hours you spend, and you spend a huge amount of hours yeah, in the yeah. field, like, well, what people who don't make cinema, don't make TV, don't realise it, you shoot for hours and hours and yeah. hours to get one good shot. Or yeah. in my case, it's the presenter to do one good piece to camera. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, take 27, <laughs> take 147, you know, okay? But the vibe on a shoot 
yeah. with the right producer, the right teams, the right directors, the camera people, the right presenters yeah. can be amazing. I know, I've had the best fun doing Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I can understand that. And and I, I haven't done many shoots, but I've done a lot of the post-production stuff. So yeah. I, did, I did an awful lot of the soundtracks and worked with some pretty big people, which are which was a real privilege to do, like the likes of Michael Kamen, who unfortunately is dead now, but he's done some huge movies. Like he did all the Lethal Weapon movies, all the Die Hard movies. Yeah, they're really big. Yeah. Huge. I mean, Die Hard, you know, will be coming around at Christmas again. Die Hard 17. <laughs> but I did Last Action Hero with him, which was... Oh, uh, that sounds good. Well, it was uh, Arnold who, Schwarzenegger. Who? It was Schwarzenegger, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was... It, and the interesting thing about that movie is it one of the, the most expensive movies at its time, which was 1990, I think it was, 91, and it bombed completely. Bomb. How, totally. how, how do I know the name of it then? Because it bombed initially, it became a cult movie over okay. time. And so and it just garnered this other sort of... Absolutely. And, kind and, of and dug out its support in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah, So it made back its money, uh, well, I think it made back its money over time. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting because the last time I was chatting to Matt Damon, Oh, my yes. mate Matt. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I was—he was at the—he was at the book festival, the Dorky Book Festival. Yeah. And I was talking to him about, you know, while so many movies can look the same now, right? And he was saying that basically that a movie needs to absolutely garner every single eyeball it can get at the box office in its first like two or three months, mm. or even first weekend. Yeah, actually. the first weekend is always a big first weekend. One, but like, I mean, yeah. you know, so it has to hit. So basically, what happens is that. A lot of the directors, but particularly the producers, are obsessed with minimizing the risk of having a last action hero, having a fluff. Mm. But what he was saying is that in the past, movies could find their audience, right? Because maybe as well, the main star's fee wasn't so huge, so they had time for it. But yeah. You'd find their audience, and over time, that would actually allow a different style of movie to breathe. So you didn't have homogeneity or diversity in movies. Now, what could be quite interesting, like given streaming, given all these other opportunities to watch yeah. cinema, is whether or not you'll see more risks being taken in movies. So, for example, in Ireland, I don't know if you've noticed this, there's been quite a few really interesting and quite successful Irish language movies oh, yeah. over um, the last while. The, the big one this year was on Colleen Kuhn. I don't know if you saw it. So, on Colleen Kuhn is based on a book by Claire Keegan. Claire Keegan is an amazing writer. Mm. She's been nominated for the Booker Prize for a book called... Small Things Like These, which is unbelievable. Very short, very brilliant. But she also wrote a book called Foster, and that was taken by... Oh, a, yes, that's familiar. Yes, and yeah. that book was taken by a few Gale Gores, and they put it into on Colleen Kuhn, which is a, a, the story, right. gotcha, the story gotcha. of, of, of a young girl. Yeah. The, the quiet girl. She's very, very quiet. She's traumatised, mm. right? And what you see now is this increase now in diversity, so maybe what has happened, and that feeds back into your 481 thing of financing sort of rather more eclectic movies. Yeah. Because cinema is an art form, right? Like you don't have to get all completely RC and, like, you know, yeah, for sure. but it's an art form and therefore it has a spectrum. And therefore what you're going to get is you're going to get new movies, new directors, new producers, new scriptwriters coming through. And what Damon was making the point was that maybe with streaming, you will get this increase in diversity and therefore you'll get a much more Shumterian ecosystem. Because yeah. what is unhealthy, yeah. what is definitely unhealthy is that if everybody's going for the two-week box office hit, 
Christmas or mm. midsummer or whatever it happens to be, what you will do is you'll just get an extraordinary monoculture, as we talked last week. Yeah. In movies, right? And that will be the death now. Because what keeps any industry going is not the people who turn up to see Man United and Old Trafford. It's the millions and millions who watch Man United on streaming TV. That's what keeps them going. Yeah. Right? So it's the same thing as, as, as any sort of thing. So it will be interesting to see, John, if you look at the future of cinema, right? We know, for example, the Cine World, which had 500 cinemas in the States, closed down, went bankrupt, right? So people aren't going out to the big breeze block cinema anymore mm. to the same extent. But streaming is coming through. Everybody has a telly. Streaming platforms are coming through. Some of us have big tellies, even, you know, in our yeah, new incarnations. has computers. <laughs> computers. But and you're getting a whole different yeah, thing. And I yeah. mean, what, what I've noticed, because I've just made this kind of small, well, we're just doing finishing it, documentary in Lebanon. And it's been really fascinating to do. Mm. Everyone on the shoot is busy. And that's a really good sign. So basically, if you're looking for, if you're looking for an editor, if you're looking for post-production, if you're mm. obviously looking for a cameraman, camerawoman, sound, whatever, a good team, a good team of runners, a good team of producers, and you're in Ireland and you make a few calls and everyone puts their hand up and says, yeah, I, I, I can do it, then you know the industry's on its knees yeah. because everyone's free. Right now in Ireland, everyone's busy. And that's a great sign. And just before we go, we'd just like to thank Now for sponsoring this episode. Now has you covered with the latest blockbusters, including The Batman, Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore, House of the Dragon, and Gangs of London. It's that time of the year again. Stream festive movies and the biggest series with Now Cinema and Entertainment membership. And if you grab that plan now, it's half price for six months. (laughs) 